Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBrew podcast where we break down some of the main news headlines of the financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of foreign exchange. My name is Matthew Ryan, Senior Market Analyst here at eBrew, and I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer, Enrique Diaz-Alvarez, and Market Analyst, Roman Zaruk. So this podcast is all about the foreign exchange market. We're going to take a look at some of the main news stories and FX, discuss them, and give our view on what they might mean for currencies going forward. So we're going to start today's podcast by talking about the latest pandemic developments and its impact on currency markets. Since the beginning of the year, attention among traders has been largely focused on the pace at which countries have been able to roll out the various vaccines. It's created a bit of a race to herd immunity and caused investors to speculate the timing of when countries are able to finally unwind and remove lockdown measures and, of course, return to some sense of normalcy. <clears throat> These vaccine rollouts have rather predictably proved uh, very uneven. Generally, the wealthier nations, of course, have been the ones that have done the best, whereas the poorer nations have lagged behind. Of the major nations, we've seen a, a clear divergence between the vaccine rollouts in the US and the European Union. The, the former has now administered around about 50 vaccine doses per 100 people, just behind the UK, uh, and at least one dose to around 32% of the population. The EU, on the other hand, has failed to vaccinate its population at anywhere near the same pace and has only vaccinated or at least administered one dose to 13% of its population. The result has been a much faster unwinding of restrictions in the US relative to Europe, um, which of course is now in the midst of a third wave of infection. We've actually seen a tightening of lockdown measures in much of Europe, notably likes of France and Italy. And we're not only seeing this reflected in, in economic data, but also euro dollar, which is now actually trading 4% lower for the year. Anyway, over, over to you guys. What are your guys' thoughts on, on, the, on the vaccine rollout and how do you see this impacting currencies in, in the next few weeks and months? I mean, it's, um, it's hard to tell uh, because if you look at, uh, at the euro dollar exchange rate, uh, the, the euro performance, it's clear that the market has not really, it's not terribly concerned about the long-term impact of this this uh, gap in the vaccination rates. I mean, we are around 119. Uh, we're still up, uh, I mean, significantly from where we were at the bottom of the pandemic. So it's clear that uh, the uh, the market is seeing this as just uh, a delay in the economic recovery in the eurozone rather than a, a something that will have not a massive long-term impact. Um, we'll, we'll see. Uh, that's it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I generally think that what we have seen in large part is a reflection of the differences uh, in vaccination process. Uh, so we had the currencies that were outperforming on the vaccine progress, and this has been uh, at least looking at the main currencies, the US dollar and the uh, pound sterling. The euro, on the other hand, was uh, underperforming uh, in large part because of that, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but I think that we have found the bottom uh, when it comes to the euro dollar uh, at around 117. Uh, we are moving up right now and the prospects look quite good because it is unlikely that the uh, increase in the 
pace of vaccinations in the US and the UK will continue. But uh, at the same time, it's uh, very likely that the increase uh, will continue in the Eurozone. So we should probably uh, in the next few months uh, see a closing in the gap between the vaccinations in the US and the Eurozone. Uh, And same goes for the UK and the Eurozone. Uh, And this, I think, should support the Euro uh, against both the dollar uh, and the pound uh, sterling. And I think that those uh, other main currencies, the dollar and sterling, uh, have uh, mostly capitalized uh, on those uh, on those vaccine rollouts, and there isn't really uh, much more they can take from that at this point. Uh, right now, we are also seeing a deterioration in the uh, coronavirus situation in many parts of the world, uh, most notably uh, Europe. Uh, however, I think that. Uh, at least uh, judging by how the situation unraveled in Eastern Europe, where the actual deterioration came earlier and was, uh, at least judging by the numbers, uh, more significant. Uh, I think that uh, what we are looking at is maybe a few weeks of a rather tense situation of increased coronavirus cases, but then uh, gradual uh, going back to normal, supported by the vaccine rollout uh, and uh, easing of the restriction, uh, which should enable the economy to uh, get back on track. Uh, And also, uh, speaking of this uh, coronavirus situation, I think that it's also notable that, uh, and I think it's uh, partly related with the vaccine rollout, that in many places in the world, although the uh, numbers of the new coronavirus cases have increased substantially uh, in this third wave, uh, the actual death numbers, although they have also risen in most places, uh, they they did not uh, risen as much as we would expect given uh, this increase in cases. Uh, so this probably has to do uh, in some part with the vaccine progress, and uh, I hope that uh, this will continue and uh, we, we could go back to normal in Europe within the next uh, few weeks to few months. But the, uh, there is a big anticipation that the uh, rollout of the vaccine will significantly improve uh, in the months to come, starting April. Yeah, I, th- I think you answered this, Roman, but, but, but to you, Enrique, as well, do you think there's any, any room for downside, more downside in, in the euro? It looks, looks as though Europe's going to open up much later than the US and UK, or do you think that's priced in now to, to the value of the euro? Well, I think it's clearly priced in. I think that the, the story of uh, the gap in vaccination rates and the, uh, the much slower lifting of the lockdowns in the eurozone than in the US or the UK is 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 a consensus story and that the prices reflect that so going forward that gap frankly uh will start to close at some point mathematically uh, the vaccination rate in the us and the uk cannot go above 100 percent so um I, I think that uh, we may be open to to uh, positive surprises in the eurozone vaccination effort and frankly it, it it can only get better from here i think so uh, I'm, I'm very confident, confident with our forecast of a higher euro over the next few months. Yeah, I agree, uh, as I said earlier. And uh, also, I think that one of the factors that is supporting this view is the way that the US dollar has reacted uh, in the past few days to the macroeconomic data, or rather hasn't reacted, because we had really good numbers, both when it comes to Friday's non-farm payrolls, and also when it comes to the ESM data on business activity. And the US dollar hasn't really uh, reacted. In fact, uh, over this period, uh, it has uh, actually depreciated. So, uh, I would think that uh, the the only uh, road for the dollar from now on is is down. <laughs>
Okay, perfect. I think we're going to move on now and talk about our second main topic, um, which is something that, uh, Enrique, I know you were keen to talk about, and that's the shift uh, in stance that we're seeing uh, among governments towards uh, both deficits, uh, deficit and debt levels. Um, of course, one of the key characteristics uh, that we've seen in this current pandemic has been how governments and, and authorities have responded to the crisis. We've seen unprecedented levels of fiscal support in the form of job retention or, or furlough schemes, unemployment benefits, direct payments to households and, and loans and grants to businesses and so on and so forth. And this has led to a surge in debt levels around the world. In the, in the US, for instance, uh, I know public debt stood at around 130% of GDP at the end of last year. And the global public debt ratio is now almost 100% of GDP, which is up from a little over 80% at the end of 2019. This is around levels we've not seen since World War II. But we're seeing a little bit of a sea change whereby governments are more comfortable racking up large quantities of debt and are likely to continue to do so this year in order to support economies as they unwind restrictions um, at the end of the pandemic. Uh, so again, over to you both, why do you think that this is the case? Why are we seeing governments more comfortable with higher debt levels? I think it has to do with the experience uh, of the years since the 2008-2009 financial crisis where uh, the economic consensus is that the stimulus packages were insufficient back then, that the fears, uh, market fears back then that the increasing debt would result in, in, in uh, problems financing deficits or inflation in, in, in the U.S. or Eurozone completely failed to come through. Uh, clearly, the, uh, the limit for how much debt and deficit uh, can be tolerated by markets, at least uh, from the developed countries, uh, was massively underestimated in the years following the great financial crisis. And I think that uh, that the the new paradigm, the new political thinking is that because that limit was underestimated, it may be that that limit doesn't exist at all, that uh, uh, developed market sovereigns uh, like uh, the U.S., UK, perhaps the Eurozone as, a, as an entity, can borrow and spend uh, without limit. Um, now, clearly, uh, the the only thing that would, uh, the, the main, the only event that can really uh, turn around this thinking uh, would be either an inflationary surge, which we have yet to see, uh, though we do expect as a company that we inflation will surprise to the outside, or um, uh, disorderly sell-off in government bond markets. In the U.S., we have seen a serious retreat in bonds, a serious increase in yields, but from very low levels and not up to any any sort of level that would threaten this uh, uh, spend without the spending without taxing mindset in the U.S. If the sell-off in treasuries were to continue, if we were to see yields in the 10-year bond in the U.S. go above 2 2.5%, then I think uh, this, this new paradigm for government spending would be revised. But until then, um, we will see more uh, higher deficit and debt levels from all the developed markets. I think that's clear. Yeah, I also think that uh, it also had to do with the fact that 
the interest rates have been very low for a long time. Uh, and I think that uh, the policymakers uh, have got used to uh, low interest rates. And right now they are treated as normalcy instead of something that will be reversed anytime soon. So if your cost of servicing debt is at uh, around zero, one, two percent, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it starts to matter when it increases significantly. Uh, but I don't think that it's on the cards because I think that the changes in the global economy that have happened in the past few decades, uh, especially when it comes to demographic changes, but also to some extent inequality, uh, basically prohibit the interest rates to go uh, above a certain threshold. So I think that uh, even uh, with uh, such a general spending, even with a potential inflation surprising to the upside, I don't think that the, this uh, increase in debt uh, will be in any way threatened by this uh, increase in interest rates uh, farther down the road. I think we are not uh, going to get back, back to the levels that even we have seen uh, around the previous financial crisis. I think that uh, interest rates uh, are most likely to be very low for a very long time. And even if they are, if they even if they are going to start to rise, which at some point they probably will, uh, because the economy will get back on track and create internal inflationary pressure. Uh, even then, I don't think that uh, the rates will increase to the levels uh, that will prohibit the governments uh, from from spending. Uh, the most important question right now is uh, whether it is a reckless spending or it's a productive spending, because we wouldn't want to have an, an unproductive spending uh, on investments that do not uh, produce an, a good rate of return. We would rather have something that would support the communities. Uh, and I think that uh, right now we are not on, uh, we are, uh, we are on the track uh, to, to getting there. So uh, I think that uh, we shouldn't be too worried about the debt levels. And I think the authorities are right to use this pandemic time uh, to, uh, to utilize those tools because we can, we can do it right now. So my question would be uh, for you too, what's, what, if any, are the conclusions from this paradigm shift or the, the impact this paradigm shift would have on currency markets? Again, it's very difficult to make uh, predictions because uh, uh, I think that we are sort of in uncharted territory. We haven't been, we have never been in a situation where uh, the, the U.S. and the, to a lesser extent the Eurozone uh, were quite openly working under the assumption that debt levels and deficit levels don't really matter except perhaps to the extent that they impact inflation. Uh, my tentative answer is that this, this, given that the U.S. is leading this, this uh, new paradigm for debt, of, of thinking about debt and deficits, this cannot be a positive for the U.S. dollar uh, long term. Uh, but I, I accept that the uncertainty is even higher than usual. And that just about does it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the currency markets, visit Ebris website or follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast app and let us know if there are any topics you would like to hear more on during upcoming podcasts. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a week's time. Thank you all very much for listening.